Good morning. Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, and that is on page 814, if you're following along in your pew Bibles. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's word. Uh, I hope this is an encouraging word this morning. I hope you, I hope you leave feeling uh, happy, excited, encouraged. I know doing topical sermons, preach about missions, I know that's not the practice here. I know the, the, the best practice is to pick a book and, and march through it verse by verse, so thanks for the liberty to just do a topic. And um, I thought about finding other stuff I've said and looked at old sermons and talks, and um, I just thought, uh, I've never preached on this text before, and I just wanted to do something new. Uh, so this isn't anything recycled. This is a fresh word that I hope is encouraging for, for Trinity Community Church. And just a couple verses. That Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. So he turns to his disciples and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So my cards are on the table. I'm a missionary. This is my life, my vocation. I love it. Uh, I think I've more or less accepted the, the losses that come with this life, even though they really hurt and have hurt even in the last week, feeling fresh, what it costs to, to leave family and country to go somewhere in Jesus' name. I still think that the vocation of cross-cultural ministry is rich and rewarding and worth it. And it's urgently needed around the world. I pray that, that Trinity would, would send out more global messengers, more workers into God's harvest field around the world in places where they can go do intentional spiritual good where there aren't very many churches, where cities don't have seminaries and, and places to be trained in the ministry, when people have never met another Christian who really loves them and tells them about Jesus, places around the world where God's image bearers are crying out for justice and needing good news and good deeds of love in Jesus' name. I pray that Trinity continues to send people, workers, into the harvest field. But I'm also not here to should all over you, to tell you what you ought to do. That was a joke, sorry. <laughs> I want to share about missions and script, uh, from Scripture in a way that's encouraging life-giving, not a, not a burden. 
I'd love for you to, to feel compassion like Jesus does in this text for the world and be moved to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. So, so that's my goal. I realize you probably don't need any new information. I'm probably not going to give you any new information from the Bible. You probably know theology and, and missiology better than I do. What I really want to do is just take some time to, to think about this scripture and consider the glory and goodness of Jesus in global missions and to leave more thankful for that good news for ourselves and also motivated to, to maybe do something about it in prayer and participation. Um, so three things that I want to point out um, here, here in Scripture, three things that, I, that really stood out to me in, in Matthew 9. The first thing is the opportunity. The opportunity. So what Jesus is doing is teaching healing, demonstrating power, and uh, telling people the truth about the kingdom. But I'm really interrupted, uh, stopped, paused by this verse when it says, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the crowds he had compassion on them. So Jesus, who's God, looks at people and his internal reaction is love. It's, it's uh, pain, compassion, you know, to, to hurt with someone. To hurt with somebody. Jesus looks at these lost sinners who just want him to do miracles and heal them and, and cause a political revolution so they can get power and freedom back. And he doesn't despise them or look down on them or, or correct them. We know he does correct them a lot in other passages, but in this passage, he sees the crowds and he hurts with them. He sees people who are carrying the image of God, people that, that he participated in their creation, and he has compassion on them. We know that he teaches hard truths, he, he confronts people, he speaks out against hypocrisy, but we also see a God who sees people and hurts with people. This is the same word that's used uh, when Jesus does the parable of the prodigal son and um, the parable of the good Samaritan. When the father of the prodigal son sees his son, he has compassion and he gets up and runs towards him. And when the good Samaritan sees the, the man who's beaten beside the road, he has compassion and does something about it. That's, what, that's the feeling Jesus had. Someone's in trouble, and I want to do something about it. And I think it's a, a worthwhile question for especially East Coast American busy people to, to ask ourselves, can we even do this? Is there, is there any even kind of margin in your life to see people and to be moved in your heart have you, what kind of life have you built for yourself? Are we doing this? Are we seeing the crowds and, and just despising them and, and being cynical about, oh, the country, the world, the whatever, the politics, the culture today? I think it's easy to fall into that just to be kind of disgusted by the world. And Jesus isn't disgusted. He's, he hurts because of the people that he sees in their brokenness. 
It's easy for me when I'm busy or stressed or feel like I have a lot to do. I don't even, I don't even see the people. They're there, but I'm just doing my thing. I'm running my errand. I'm going to my appointment. But just to see people. Not problems to solve or inconveniences to get past, but people to love and serve. And I think it's a good question for me to even ask myself, is life too full? Have I crammed everything in there? Or have I left any room to hurt for people and see them? So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, the message or the task that Jesus gives his disciples here. He, he says for them that they ought, to, they ought to pray for laborers to go into the field, laborers to go into the harvest. Basically, for someone to go to these sheep who don't have a shepherd and tell them that there is a shepherd. That's the harvest. We see in verse 35 what Jesus was doing. He was teaching. He was going into synagogues and into towns and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing, doing powerful, miraculous works. I think for us, there, there is um, a role for, for us as God's people to participate in healing for hurting people. On one hand, it's, it's begging, crying out to God, please heal this person. Please do a miracle. We want to see your power here, God. Work. But another way we can heal hurting people around us is by just loving and serving, doing something about their problem. Not all healing is miraculous. Not all healing is outside of our control. Some healing is just working for justice and the right thing to happen in people's lives. To care, to serve, to, to lay down our lives in sacrificial love towards people who are suffering. Um, a friend of mine, uh, a pastor, said... Um, God, uh, he said a phrase that just really stuck, stuck with me. Um, God does not have us here just to get better. God has us here because he loves the world. God doesn't have us here, Christians, Trinity, just to get better, get our theology better, get our life better, get our church better, get our family better. God has you here because he loves the world. The meaning of the Christian life is not self-improvement. It's not just that one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven. The meaning of the Christian life is that God came to earth. God comes to the world. Jesus, the Messiah, left heaven in a perfect place to come to the world to save it. His answer to Nicodemus in John 3.16 is that God is so moved by love towards you that he gave his own son to save you. There's compassion in God. He feels and hurts with us. God was so moved that God died on the cross to bring us to him. I think it's important to remember, guys, in our Bible is 2 Peter 3.9 that says, God is not willing that any should perish but that everyone should come to him in repentance. That's a fight worth joining, whatever your theology is on God's sovereignty. Are we willing that any should perish? Or does that hurt us? Is our, is our systematic theology so good that it's just like, 
not my problem? Or are we moved to love people who are perishing? Do we want everyone to come to know him in repentance? And we, we look out and we see a world that's harassed and afflicted, like it says here, the crowds that Jesus saw. And, and this is the invitation that we have to share with them. The words of the Messiah, Jesus, told by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. This is the message we have as we go out into the harvest. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? This is the message we have to a hurting and harassed world. We say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a message. What a love to say, I see your pain and Jesus has an answer for your pain. Can I tell you about him? If this promise is, is true, there's no sacrifice that's too great to follow this king. If this really is true, that Jesus has everything that we need now and forever, there's no sacrifice, there's no pain that's too much. There's no cost. We, we will sell everything we have to get the field with the treasure in it that's Jesus. This message just blows us away. And I don't want to skip over what Jesus says, not just this message to go out and tell the sheep about the shepherd, but the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is that they should pray, which to me is another really interesting thing, that, that Jesus saw the crowds, grabbed me first, but that Jesus' first instruction and command is to pray also grabbed me. Not, not to go and talk, not to go and do, but to pray. Prayer isn't just something that we do for missions or for missionaries or for the hurting world and the lost people around us. Prayer is actually a, a legitimate and primary response whenever we see the broken world around us. Praying isn't something we do for the work. Praying is the work. Devoting yourself to prayer for the world, to see God's kingdom come, to see workers go into the harvest, isn't some kind of like a, a minor league Christian activity because you can't really do it, so you pray for it to happen. It's the real work. When Jesus is, is moved with pain, he says praying is the appropriate response to this. Missionaries, Christians in general, can't simply just be devoted to ministry activity and planning things, doing stuff, having meetings. In our neighborhoods, we can't just have barbecues and friendly conversations and try to invite people to church or talk about Jesus. We have to be praying first and as well. And personally, just to admit, I think for myself, but also for the, 
for the church around the world, for, for God's people, it can seem like prayer is the forgotten practice of Christian community, that we're, we're more about writing and talking and doing than we are to really praying for people. It's another good question. Is my life, is there any room in my life for prayer? Is it wake up and boom until I go to bed? Or, or can I even pray for people? Can I see them and can I pray for them? So, as we go into this harvest field, uh, a little personal testimony, confession, maybe, that going towards the harvest, moving out towards people to try to tell them about God's kingdom, exposes the sin in us. Any kind of Christian effort, I think, any, try, any kind of trying to do intentional spiritual good towards other people uh, exposes sin in us and, and the broken pieces of who we are as people as we're in community one with another. It's interesting to me that lots of the New Testament is written to churches, letters written to churches, kind of saying, hey guys, knock it off. <laughs> Quit being so stupid to each other right? Learn how to get along, Christians. It's realistic. I just love how realistic the Bible is and the New Testament letters are. Don't treat each other like that. Come on. Love each other. Forgive each other. Paul lived in a, in a real world, and these churches were made up with real sinful people. And as we live the Christian life on this earth, it exposes the sin in our hearts. But the invitation of the gospel is, is not just for those people out there, like as Will said this morning. The good news isn't just for lost people, something they need to hear so that they can become good like us. The good news of Jesus is for us too in here. Coming to church on Sunday morning is one of the most honest things we can do because we're saying, I need some help. I'm not all right. The gospel isn't just something to, to believe once and then work hard and have a lot of effort and get your life together from then on, but it's something that we have to keep on returning to over and over and over again. So, so as we encounter our own sin and we encounter the suffering and brokenness in the world, that drives us back to Jesus. And at, with Jesus, we, we, what do we find? We find acceptance and love and the pressure's off. He says, of course, I love you. I died for you. I forgive you. Come here. He's like, okay, and now go tell them. And we go and tell them, and, and we try to help, and we do something. And then we realize again that we're sinful and, and messed up, and they're sinful and messed up, and we've got to go back to Jesus and say, I need you to forgive me again. I need you to change this part of me, please. So we, we end up, the Christian life is a cycle of going to Jesus for everything that we need and love and forgiveness and power. And he pushes us out and says, go love them. And we do it and it hurts and we come back to Jesus and then he sends us out. It's not just there are unreached people in the world that we need to go to. We do. 
There are people who don't have access to the Bible or churches or Christians. We need to go to them. And we also have unreached parts of our hearts that the gospel needs to, to change and impact. Both things are true. And then this is the third thing I want us to see here, the final thing that I want us to see here in the, in the, the passage. And I think the most important thing really is the promises that Jesus makes to us. So, Jesus sees the crowds, he's moved with compassion, he says, pray for workers. And then in the next verse, in in Matthew 10, he sends them out. The guys that he said to pray, he sends them. He says, pray, but then you're the answer to your prayer, too. Go. Here's the message. He, He gives them authority, he gives them instructions, he gives them even some policies to follow about, about how to act in the places they go. And, uh, and then they go out preaching in the villages, and for some reason they don't stay gone too long because just a couple chapters later, um, Matthew 12, they're already back with Jesus, walking through a wheat field and um, picking grains on the Sabbath and, and irritating people with what they're doing. But then at the end of the book of Matthew, if you want to turn to Matthew 28, he gives one more sending. It feels like the Matthew 10 sending was kind of uh, temporary. And in Matthew 28, he gives a final sending, an indefinite command to go. Here, Jesus says, um, essentially, I'm, I'm leaving. My body's going up to heaven And as you go out to his 11 followers, his closest disciples, as you go out, here's how to live. Here's the reality as you go from here. And for centuries, these words of Jesus in Matthew 28 have also been considered a command to us. Not just something he was saying to these 11 men to go do, but the church has always believed that these words in Matthew 28 are also for all Christians still. This is what it says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is the promise in verse 20 that Jesus is with you and me as we go. Jesus is with you and me as we go. Maybe we need to say that to each other sometimes when when we're struggling. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. I've told you about God's kindness to us, how... It feels like we're in a really uh, sweet season, as John Riggs would say, of life. Uh, To really feel the goodness of God and to not be really disrupted in in major ways. But going is, is not easy always. The sheep without a shepherd also have a wolf that wants to devour them, right? And the messengers that go out into the field are are broken messengers, sinful messengers, as as I've said. When I got on a plane in 2012 to move to the mission field for the first time, 
all my sins and bad habits got on the plane with me. And some of them grew somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean and got a lot worse by the time I got there. Um, without a doubt, the, the loneliest, darkest, hardest days of our lives have, have been on the field. One quick story um, is that in May 2013, we, we made a quick visit back to America for, for a wedding for my sister-in-law to get married, my wife's sister. And during this quick visit back to America, just a couple weeks, um, I got in a car wreck that I later found out I wasn't insured uh, for the vehicle that I was driving um, based on just a really confusing situation, which led uh, me to go to court and a judge to threaten to throw me in jail because of the confusion around the, the insurance and the, the other person in the car wreck. We had a, a man die and crash his truck into the house where we were staying while we were in it, the house that somebody had lo loaned us, and half of his pickup truck ended up in Cora's bedroom, and the wall was on top of her bed. She was on the couch with me. I was holding little Cora on the couch because I was so stressed out about my car accident from the day before. Um, and so when the insurance companies had to, would call, they'd say, Mr. Phillips, it's about the car accident. And I would say, you're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> which car accident? Um, which felt like a trip from hell. And we could not wait to leave America and get back to Spain. And on, and on the way to the, to the airport, uh, Cassie started to, to have a miscarriage, and we lost our baby. Um, and so that started a very dark summer for me, as you can imagine, uh, once we, we did get back to, to Spain a few days later, of anxiety and depression and nightmares and insomnia and a lot of other scary stuff. And there were nights, family, <laughs> there, there were nights when I would lay down in bed as a grown man and pull my knees up to my chest, lay on my side, and just say, Jesus, be with me. Jesus, be with me. Jesus, be with me. Until I fell asleep. And he was. He was. All of my childhood and adolescence, even getting approved as a missionary and fundraising and getting to the field, I felt like there was, all, there was always this part of me that thought I was an imposter, that I didn't belong that maybe God forgave me, but he didn't really like me. That maybe I wasn't even really a Christian in the end, and everybody else was real, and I wasn't. And ever since that season of anxiety and depression that started in the summer of 2013, I've had a much deeper assurance that he is with me and that I belong to him. Uh, there's a, a Spanish quote that I love um, by a guy named uh, Oscar Romero. And in Spanish it says, Hay muchas cosas que solo pueden ser vistas a través de ojos que han llorado. In English it says, basically there's a lot of stuff that can only be seen 
by eyes that have cried. A lot of truths that can only be understood by broken people. And I want to encourage you that there's a sweetness to the fellowship and the presence of Jesus that we experience in his promise to be with us when we go. When we go, when we're moved in the direction of those lost sheep to have compassion on them, to do spiritual good towards them, maybe moved across the street, maybe moved across the dinner table, or maybe moved across the ocean. When we go out in his name, brothers and sisters, we can count on this promise that he will be with us. The gospel is good news. Let's believe it for ourselves, and let's ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the field, maybe even us. Amen. Kate is going to come up and pray for us now. Check, check. Okay. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for our dear brother Brian and for Cassie and their family. Um, we miss them, and we're reminded today of the gifts that they are, have, were to us, are to us, and the gifts that they are over in Granada. Thank you for this word um, that he's brought us from Matthew 9. And we thank you um, for the truths that have been open to us, that you see us lost sheep as harassed and helpless, and you don't turn away. You are moved with compassion. Um, you see. You are a seeing God. And um, you care about lost souls. Um, we are, were those lost souls. Um, and so we know how desperate the need is for laborers and um, not just people to go overseas or have missionaries, be a missionary as an official title, but that we all would care about lost people, that we would not forget how lost we were before you opened our eyes um, and removed the blindness from our minds and our hearts. You have saved us, not the other way around. Um, help us to remember these things. Help us to have compassion on the lost. Help us to see hurting people. And um, help us to be always comforted by the truth that you go with us, that we're never alone, and that you um, have gone before us, too, in the work that you've called us to. Amen.